Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. So while it's good to talk about serious things, it's just as important and just as American to have some fun. Now, let's have some fun. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Leaning Middle. I'm Eric. And I'm Brian. And today we're going to talk about the convoluted process of holding individuals accountable in the Senate. We've seen a lot of fire and flames over the last couple of weeks coming from the January 6th insurrections, Biden's inauguration, as well as the events leading up to ex-President Trump's second impeachment trial. So what we're going to talk about today is the process of holding people accountable. We're all very familiar with um, expulsion, kicking somebody out of the Congress, but we've probably all heard a word being thrown around recently that we might not really understand, and that is censuring. And specifically, in the case of Marjorie Taylor Greene, the um, QAnon-supporting congresswoman out of Georgia, and specifically the actions that her peers are looking to take against her for some previous um, inflammatory comments. So a lot of interesting developments in Biden's first uh, month here as the, uh, as the Congress starts to think about eating itself alive. Yeah. You know what, what catches me or what catches my attention is really everybody should be held accountable, right? Like, you're held accountable for things. I'm held accountable for things. And so I don't think the, the big deal is the holding accountable. I, I think, well, it is the big deal. I, I mm-hmm. think it's interesting as to who is being held accountable with the mm-hmm. censoring and what it really implies and what the consequences of that are. Because it's not just, um, you know, Ted Cruz isn't being censored and, and he played a a fairly significant role in all of the insurrection and the the chatter leading up to it and the inciting mm-hmm. that leads mm-hmm. up to it. So, you know, it, it's interesting to me that these states are now censoring their um, their senators. And you want to kind of break down exactly what censoring is and what the impact of that is to these senators? Yeah, absolutely. So honestly, what it comes down to is a censure is just what its actual definition is outside of uh, outside of Congress, which is a written formal complaint. You know, it is documenting something on an official record that this was a wrongdoing. It was saying this is a black mark on your permanent record. What kind of consequences does that actually have is in reality, it could be very little. You know, what we're seeing a lot of uh, what's happening with a lot of House of Representative members who voted to impeach President uh, Trump a second time, they're getting censured by their state's legislatures, where we're seeing Liz Cheney got censured by the Wyoming Republicans, basically saying, we, you know, we are officially saying that we believe as a party that this is we do not agree with the actions taken of this person. 
And that is a formal complaint that can do a few things, which can absolutely hurt donors. You know, big companies might pull away from people who have been censured because it really is a bipartisan um, thing to do and kind of draft across the board is it's very it's very difficult for those to succeed without bipartisan support. So it could hurt donors. It could hurt your impact in the history books, and it can definitely make you much more vulnerable for primary runs um, again when you're up for re-election again. But in terms of doing anything tangible within that person's role currently, it does absolutely nothing. Yeah, so it's basically a fancy write-up. Yes, it is the note saying that they don't agree with them. It's sending somebody to the principal's office and he's putting a stamp on your permanent record that won't be looked at once you go to another school, you know? Right. So do you feel like, and and this is some of the rumblings and and everything else that we're hearing, do you feel like this is Trump exerting his leverage in the Republican Party onto these states to censure these people because he's essentially made this list of all the Republicans that voted to impeach him? And he's going after them with a vengeance. Is this the beginning of that type of situation? I think, you know, it's funny. It's really funny because as you started that question, my knee jerk was like, nope. And then as you finished it, I was like, well, (laughs) because immediately I would think like, no, you know, he doesn't have involvement with the state level legislatures. But then you think about the fact that one of his major surrogates in the House, Matt Gates of Florida, who is a comical idiot sometimes, um, has flown to Wyoming to endorse the primary candidates running against um, uh, Elizabeth Cheney, which is odd because there are no primary candidates yet. So Matt Gates flew to Wyoming to basically give a speech to Republicans saying that he doesn't agree with their local representative members. So it's very clear that the Trump administration or the office of the formal, former president now is working behind the scenes to try to coordinate some way for those who did vote to impeach him are going to see, you know, some, some blood on the streets uh, in some capacity, whether that's going to actually be, possible you know two years down the road from now that's that's the big question is will this fade or will the trumpism be able to keep that same kind of intense energy with the leader hard for really making rallying cry cries to his troops yeah i mean for me i I don't put it past trump to make that phone call because he's already shown us that he's willing to call the state level uh politicians with georgia which is one of the it is interesting to note that they just opened a criminal complaint on that phone call in the state of georgia so we'll have to keep an eye on how that develops as well yeah exactly so you know you say well he doesn't really have anything to do with the that level of politics and and i kind of lean towards the opposite side and i kind of say he's already shown you that he's willing to get into that level of politics and he his goal right now he has nothing else to do except make life hell for those five republicans and others that what he believes robbed him or um set this whole impeachment trial into to you know in line and and got it got it moving so 
I I feel like it's there now. What's crazy to me is the censoring part. And because the first time I heard it, I immediately kind of went, okay, what does that mean? Like yeah. I'd never really paid attention enough to understand what the censoring meant. Cause I hadn't heard that term used very often. And then all of a sudden you have censoring coming down from all these different States and all these different levels. And, and you're kind of going, okay, there's something going on here. Cause a state censoring. Okay. I got it. But to have multiple States censor and multiple senators get their wrists slapped like that is kind of unprecedented, is it not? It is basically what we're seeing is the biggest disconnect between federal and state level judiciary, not judiciary, sorry, Congress um, that we've seen in a long time, you know, where the Republican kind of game plan has always been, you know, pack your state legislatures, because at the end of the day, the Democrats could get a supermajority, pass some crazy amendment, and then the states would have that power to kill it. So it's like always kind of focus on your local races. And what we've seen time and time again is there are a lot of people um, who have a lot more power at the state level because they represent, you know, a more rural district or a district that's very favored with the uh, the Trump line of political thinking. So we're seeing people rise to power who are a little more farther right than would normally make it to a federal scale because they don't have to compete at a state level. They just have to compete within that little area that they have, which is a lot of like-minded people normally. So, and if I'm at the, if I'm in the Republican party right now and, and we've done episodes on this, which is, you know, what is the Republican party right now? And you've got people that are trying to figure out where they belong, whether it's the the extreme right that's coming back to a more centrist situation, or if it's the GOP that's just unraveling at so many different levels, this doesn't do anything to help that situation. Like all this is doing is showing you that this Republican Party is fractured even worse than you originally thought it was. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So it's like it is just that breakdown. And what we're seeing is those parties who are a little more farther right leaning, or I should say, are more in line with Trump at the state level, are able to basically say that they don't agree with their national representation in one way and one way only. And that is censuring. So they draft those up and it's their way to say it's almost a signal to the president. I'm sorry. Wow. I got to change that to the former president (laughs) um, saying, hey, you know, don't think that Wyoming, the Wyoming GOP doesn't have Trump's back just because Liz Cheney doesn't. You know, it's it's their way of signaling that they're still standing strong, standing back and standing by, if you will. (laughs) I see what you're doing there. Um, (laughs) The the aspect to me is is really. a a matter of confusion. And and that's really what the sad part is. When you hear all of the censoring that's going on, and then you got Marjorie Taylor Greene that's that's coming into the fold in this too. It's really confusing as to where the Republican Party's standing. And I I believe it was our last episode or, or the one before that, we were really talking about where the GOP needs to go from here. 
And every time you think you've hit rock bottom, it, it seems to just keep going. And that's what scares me the most right now for the Republican Party is the Democratic Party looks solid and they look put together, especially if, if you're watching any of the impeachment stuff that's happening. Those guys came in completely prepared, completely in line with with the messaging and they're put together. And the Republican Party is just looking like it's in shambles. And, and the censoring is part of that. It is. It is. You know, yeah. it, it's very interesting to see how that is kind of what I'm worried about is the Democrats seem to be gaining unity, which is odd because I think everybody expected them to really break down under Biden into moderate progressives. But it really seems like they kind of have an idea of where they're going and where they want to take it. And it's a pretty good compromise with, you know, the chatter that we're hearing from senators in terms of what they want to see passed over the next two years kind of shoots that gap between progressive and moderate. But the Republicans are really, man, like, I I don't know what's going to happen. That's what confuses me. It's like, I really do look at it and I I can't tell you yet if I think Trumpism is going to prevail or if it's going to go away. I think in my deepest gut, I say it's going to kind of die off, but I've been saying that since 2016, too. So it's like, right. yeah, you know. Well, at some point it has to, right? I mean. Yeah, that's what you would think. But That's what I you mean, would think. And not to draw the, not, I'm Which not is, drawing a direct comparison, but at the same time right. you could say there's still neo-Nazis out there today and people probably thought it would have burnt off after World War II pretty quickly as well. So yeah, it's like well, ideologies are, you can latch onto them and run with them. And, uh, you know, it's just the biggest question is, did he make enough of an impact to be remembered moving forward to have his political ideology enshrined into the American psyche. And I think that's what we're going to see. And and I agree with what you're saying. I think the, you know, the slaps in the wrist on, on these senators that voted against him are that flag, that, that blue Trump flag still waving in the air saying, Hey, we're still with you, even though we're not hearing from you right now, we're still with you. Um, and I think once he gets his voice back out somewhere, wherever he lands and he gets his voice back out there, I, I think you're going to see some of this stuff flare back up, but, yeah, um, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a crazy time. Um, okay. Let's transition to, uh, Marjorie Taylor green. Cause that's a very interesting one as well. But before we do that, let's take a break for our sponsors. Okay, we're back. And now let's talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene and everything that that involves. Boy, how? (laughs) I don't even know where to start. So So, there might be some people still living under a rock or just off of social media or not paying attention. Why don't you give us a quick uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene Wikipedia yeah, they. I think there's some people out there who might still be drunk, drinking themselves into uh, out of reality after January 6th. So Marjorie Taylor Greene is a populist candidate from a very rural part of Georgia. I 
off the top of my head cannot remember which corner it is. I know that it's not the Northwest, but it's one of the other corners. Uh, she represents a congressional district there. And she was newly elected this past term and won her election. And she uh, unfortunately has a long, long history of being a bit of a provocateur. She made a lot of waves, I mean, immediately after the election because she was a huge supporter of Donald Trump. She was basically talking about the conspiracy theories and unproven links uh, with the Biden administration to God only knows who, you know, everybody from. Hugo Chavez being dead and working with Biden to rig Dominion's voting machines all the way over to somehow China being involved now as well. So she kind of rose to prominence by continually just kind of spouting off whatever would get her more cred within kind of that newfound Trump wing of the Republican Party. And then people started to kind of say, wow, this lady seems a little off her rocker. Let's look into her social media history. And they found that she has deep ties in believing the QAnon conspiracy. Um, she believed 9-11 uh, was a hoax. In some instances, she actually endorsed ideas that 9-11 didn't occur at all. I, I don't really know what that means, but... Um, there's also beliefs that Parkland was a hoax and the children who were victims of that school shooting are all paid shills or actors. And uh, on top of it all, I think there was one other pretty atrocious um, belief there. Oh, yes, that the California wildfires were actually started by a Jewish space laser. Uh, Jewish space laser. Yes, and every time I hear that, have you ever seen the movie Spaceballs? Yes. There's a segment in that where Mel Brooks like teases a new fake movie called Jews in Space, and uh, <laughs> it always just kicks me back to that <laughs> to that little clip, and it's hilarious. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's very anti-Semitic and harsh in reality. It's actually just an idea that there's an elite global elite ring that is ruled by Jewish individuals like George Soros and they have a space laser, I guess. I don't know. You know, it's like right. one of those things where I really try not to read too deep into them because you just lose brain cells at that point. Um, it, it's true. So really, I mean, what you're talking about here is Marjorie Taylor Greene basically took a page out of Donald Trump's book from his 2016 campaign, which is just, say the most outlandish things continuously and people will start believing it and listening to it. And then you, you go off of that way because you wouldn't say that stuff if it wasn't true because it's so far out there. I, um, I, I agree with it to, to a degree, but I think that's almost giving her more credit than she deserves because she didn't even set up this whole run with that kind of idea. It's just, she is just, you know, she was a wealthy stay-at-home lady who, at the end of the day, just fell down a conspiracy rabbit hole. You know, if I had to guess, Marjorie Taylor Greene probably was really into health foods and organic living and maybe a little anti-vax, you know, maybe around like yeah. 2008. And then all of a sudden, just when Obama was elected and the amount of conspiratorial thought that hit widespread conservative circles, such as like birtherism, you know, and there's still people out there who will say Obama it was not you know eligible to be president it's just like crazy theories like that started to right. become really mainstream and i could see her getting swept up in it and just yeah 
unfortunately becoming a pretty terrible person, you know, to say that Parkland shooters, you know, they didn't experience that tragedy and that they deserve to die and be executed because they're lying to the public about it's like, oof, you know, that's the that's somebody, in my opinion, who deserves to be locked up in a psych ward with no, you know, not no questions asked, like get her on some medication. But she is now one of the most powerful politicians in the country. Well, and it's not just what she's saying, too, right? It's her actions. I mean, there's video of her from, was it 2019, when she was following the Parkland shooter that was testifying? And she was following him around and screaming at him and yelling yeah. at him that it did not, not the shooter, a, sh- a survivor. It yes, was a survivor. David. It was David Hogg, I believe. Yes. And she coincidentally fall. started his own pillow company to compete with my pillow. Okay. That'll be a funny sidebar episode at some point as well. But yeah, yes, well, that, that uh, the CEO of, of my pillow is kind of in the same category as Marjorie Taylor Greene, is he not? Yeah, I, I, I'm sure they have a text thread going. <laughs> so, but. To me, I'm that's... sorry. They have a they have a Telegram channel going. Right. They, they yeah. They, they, <laughs> I'm gonna leave it alone. I'm gonna leave it alone yeah. right there, uh-huh. um, because th- that's what upsets me the most about her is that you're you're capitalizing or you're you're so far down a rabbit hole that you're believing that one of the most um, significant homeland terrorist attacks mm-hmm. didn't happen. And these people are burying their children. It's just hard because I feel like people forget that, like, you can see somebody like David Hogg on TV and it's like, you know, he he is. He's a presentable guy and he looks older than, like, you know, a 17-year-old because he's on TV and he's talking on these shows. And it's like, I think a lot of people just forget what it would be like to live through something like that as, like, a 16- and 17-year-old. And that's what kills me the most is when they're getting harassed. It's like, imagine living through that as a vulnerable age in your formative years and then have Marjorie Taylor Greene trying to jump you when you're just trying to give testimony. (laughs) Well, and what blew my mind was that interview with the CNN um, uh, reporter. She mentioned in her statement that she had survived something similar. I know. Did I mean... So you, you're sitting there going, is that what knocked a screw loose with you, lady? Because um, to, to sit there and say that this didn't happen after you're claiming that you survived a similar action is mind-blowing. And, but, and then when somebody challenges her on it, she attacks the reporter about Trumpism. Well, that's the thing. And that's what you can see of where I think there's a bigger story that is very that has very little to do with marjorie taylor green she's i don't want to be dismissive because she does hold power but it's like she's it's just kind of like another moron you know it's like somebody who got sucked into the point of where you think democrats are drinking the blood of babies it's just like something happened terribly and i don't think that she has much of a future in politics i think at a certain point people are going to be like okay like we, we made a mistake but the flip side of that is the Republican Party's reaction to having her within the ranks is, I think, one of the most insidious things about this. 
is that because is the big story. They, you know, they got together. Kevin McCarthy had a conversation with her. They decided not to censure her. They decided not to take her off of the committees that she was on, which includes education. So let me just be blunt that this woman, who is a conspiratorial individual, who lies and spreads lies on the internet, and also then attacked high school shooting victims, could have had a chance, and the Republican Party was fine with this, of setting the agenda of education in our country. And it's just like, that is horrifying. You know, whatever happened from January 6th, and then Kevin McCarthy flew and visited with Trump, and then came back, and all of a sudden, they're letting Marjorie Green just give an apology on the floor and say, oh, A non-apology. No. A non-apology. But she, she was able to say, yes, I believe 9-11 wasn't an inside job. Yes, I believe Parkland happened. It's just like, no, you don't. It's like you're only doing this for one reason and one reason only, and that's to keep your newfound ranks. And Kevin McCarthy basically said, yeah, you just need to get, stand up and record this so we can send it out to the press, and we can move on with our lives. I just don't get it because if there was a if there was a Democrat who did even a quarter of what she did, I would be 100 percent in support of their expulsion, even if it screwed up the majority in the Senate. And I can say that proudly and sanely. Here's here's the thing. This is what what really kind of blows my mind a little bit. You've got McConnell who's actually standing up and trying to get the GOP back on track. And he's saying, yep. we have no place for these loony theories and, and saying we should impeach and we should do that. Like he's actually making sense. Right. And, and for the longest time, you're kind of sitting there going, McConnell's this bad guy and he's doing all this stuff. And then all of a sudden you're kind of going, well, you know what? Of everybody in the GOP right now, McConnell's the only sane one. That's what's like, hard with the Republican party is like, yeah, as of like three weeks ago, I wanted to fight Mitch McConnell, like hand to hand combat. And now I'm looking at him as like sensible granddad. And it's like, no, 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 no. You know, it's like, I can't, I, I can't fall into that trap of being like, yeah, you know, it's just like, yeah, that's great. And it's like, they all want to act sane for once in a while to remind people that they have souls. But it's like, I just, you know, there's a record to these things. And, I think McConnell sees his chance. He's on his way out, A. You know, he's on death's door. Um, So he knows that he doesn't have... All he's doing right now is writing his legacy. Exactly. And he's doing a damn good job of it. But it also just goes to show that it's like the Republican Party is fractured and has very little direction. And they will very much suffer for this in the Senate. I don't see them taking back either chamber of Congress in 2022 as it stands now. And that would be disastrous. That has almost never happened. Right. It would, it would basically spell the end to the Republican party as we know it, if they're not able to take back either chamber of Congress in 2022. Dude, I'm going to challenge you with this. I think the Republican party is done as you knew it already. Because look who's coming in. You got Marjorie Taylor Greene that's coming in. You got the um, senator from Colorado that's a a pronounced. um, Yeah, uh, Lauren Boebert. Right. You've got a couple others that are are coming in that they they have taken the office and the 
the position of that office, which is one of class and one of professionalism. And you may disagree and that's okay, but we're going to talk this through and we're going to be civil about it. They're taking the civil out of civil service. Yes. And that's what's, that is to me, what is most concerning about the Republican party in the way that it stands right now is you have got people that are coming into the ranks that are showing no respect for the position. They're showing disregard to the legacies of that, that particular position. And now we're supposed to just go, well, you know what? It's, that's okay. It's okay that these people aren't acting uh, pol- political. They're, we don't want politicians in there. Well, yeah, you do. It's, it's you, interesting, too, because I'm curious to see how they grow in, the, in Congress. You know, because I remember when AOC first got in, like, she was fired up. And it's like, don't get me wrong, she's, she's still going hard as hell at her agenda. And I applaud her for at least staying on an even keel. But it's like, you could tell she kind of started to learn the game a little bit. Of being like, yeah, I don't need to be started fires on every single issue here and there. You know, I'll use my voice sparingly and when it's needed. And I could see Marjorie Taylor Greene already kind of feel like an idiot when she made the video saying that she was putting articles. She was submitting articles of impeachment on President Biden on January 21st. Is yeah. It was like I could see she was like. It was like a weird video, and she was like, ah, here are the articles of impeachment for President Biden. I'm submitting them. And she like put them down, and she's like, we'll see how this goes. And it's like you could see on her face where she was like, is this the right thing to be doing, or am I going to look like a complete idiot? And it's like I think that happened with Boebert a little bit too out of Colorado. Is she – immediately she before marjorie taylor green kind of got blown up as the QAnon supporter in congress and she was like no 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 i don't do that and she really took a couple steps back from her media strategy and it's like i'm curious if marjorie taylor green is going to try to do that and kind of realize like okay you know like i am at a level and i have power now that i really never thought i had and it's time to be an adult and let go of the insane crap I don't think she should be allowed to personally. I think if you're at that level of mental unfitness at a certain point, it gets, it gets upsetting and worrying, but at the same time, yeah, you know, maybe she could take a step back and really reel in the conspiratorial thoughts. I, I don't, I'm not, I don't see her doing it No, I'm not hopeful at all, but I don't know. And, and here's what here's what popped in my mind while you were were talking just a second ago as to yeah. why she won't do it, and that is there is a vacuum in the GOP right now, and that vacuum is who is going to step in and fill Trump's shoes to maintain his supporters. That's a which very means good you, point. You have to be aggressive. You have to be outlandish. You have to be spouting off these theories that these people have so passionately thrown themselves into it also there's nobody doing that they all know that their best chance in 2024 against you know whether that be against president biden 
VP Harris or another primary person who comes into the ring, you know, we really don't know what's going to happen on the Democratic side. But whoever they do go up against, their best chance as it stands now is somebody who is follows that same vein of Trumpism. You know, your Ted Cruz's, your Josh Hawley's. And it's like, you know, who will then be favored for cabinet positions within a Trumpism organization? People like Marjorie Taylor Greene. Exactly. And I will tell you, I think Marjorie Taylor Greene is making a better power grab right now than Josh Hawley. Yeah, Josh Hawley kind of just got neutered. I mean, he just looked like such an idiot so many times in a row that there's just no... Like, he's basically just, like, said no to every single confirmation and is digging his heels in. But, like, his storyline's very much dead. It's just kind of like, ooh, rising star crashed to the ground. Like, it's just he's not going to come back. Whereas Marjorie Taylor Greene has something that Hawley doesn't. And that is, like... Charisma. It's charisma, but it's, it, it's, it's the ability for the left to obsess over her as, like, an idiot villain. You know, it's like Josh Hawley was formal, tried to do. He was all presidential. He was trying to make his move. But it's like he was also cold, calculated, and failed. Marjorie Taylor Greene has this air of incompetency around her that drives the left that much farther crazy because they're saying, how's this lady, you know, how how is she doing all this stuff with her belief system and why are people believing her? And they get him worked up. And getting the left worked up is 50% of what Republican strategy is right now. You know, it's like the majority of the bills I see from our local legislatures um, in Texas, like Jody Arrington, are just glamour bills. They're just saying like, ooh, I told Nancy Pelosi to stop it, you know? And, I'm, and everybody's like, yeah, you tell her. And I'm just like, God, like this guy hasn't attached his name to a meaningful piece of legislation for his constituents since he was elected to office. But right. they don't care about it because he's owning the libs. And the way Marjorie Taylor Greene pisses off the left is going to have her coast much farther than somebody else would. Well, and see, she can do it better than Ted Cruz can. Absolutely. And, and here's here's why. Ted Cruz is too established. Ted Cruz is he's, just like, he just, he's a weak he, man. Like, he seems frail. <laughs> well, the problem with it is he lacks, he's too calculated. Yep. And, but he's too politician-y with the way he goes about doing it too. He tries you know he he tries to connect and he doesn't really land a blow because it comes off dorky or awkward. He's just kind of right. old too, you know, where it's like he's trying to com- have a fight with Seth Rogen on Twitter and Seth Rogen's just like, "Dude, shut up." Like this is like really like this isn't yeah. even worth like this is very cringy, you know. Whereas Marjorie yeah. Taylor Greene's just like saying whatever crazy crap from a street corner she's saying and it's like a lot it's very similar to what trump did where everybody was so outraged but they couldn't look away and sure enough well, we couldn't and, for four years well and you know look at trump before i mean the guy is a marketer he knows how to um portray himself he knows how to get himself in the news the movies all of these things and he is a, a charismatic guy he gets people to follow him and people want to be a part of that. And Marjorie Taylor Greene is the same same type of personality. She just, there's something about her. And that's, it's, a lot of people call it the it factor. Mm-hmm. But there is something about her that you just go, 
I, I'm going to watch her on Twitter. You, I, I told this to you right after Trump got taken off of Twitter. I'm like, I'm so bored with Twitter now because I don't have anything to really watch. Like, yeah, I, it would be the last thing I'd look at and the first thing I'd wake up uh, and look at. And I would check it throughout the day just to see what he was saying. Mm-hmm. She's the same way. Yeah. And I, I think that that's going to be a larger problem for the GOP um, faithful and, and the GOP um, core than anybody is anticipating. I agree. I agree. I think we're going to see a lot of power dynamics play out here as the impeachment second impeachment concludes Trump will ultimately be acquitted and then we'll see what the GOP really looks like because there are, you know, there's enough support across the board where we can assume an acquittal, but once that's done, you're going to have very clear lines in the sand drawn. You know, you're going to have your Mitt Romney's and potentially Mitch McConnell's who voted to convict. And then your Trump wing of the people who desperately believe in Donald Trump. And then the people who are too scared to cross them still. So that's yeah. where you're going to see the real power plays start to come in is okay. You know, this is done. Trump will, after the impeachment trial will start to fade from public perception until he gets his social media accounts reactivated. And then it'll be a whole poop storm again, but We'll start to see the real finer details of what the Republican Party is shaking out to be after this impeachment. And, man, I, you know, this is a soap opera you couldn't even write. I'm I'm telling you. And what I'm looking forward to, and the Democrats are are just waiting for it. They got to get through this impeachment first. But the Democrats are going to start pushing social agendas. Yep. And the GOP haven't really had to take a stand on a social agenda in quite some time. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have to take some stands. And I am going to be very interested to see where some of these guys come down. Like Marjorie Taylor Greene has got a lot of momentum behind her right now. And she's making a, a pretty substantial power grab. But she hasn't had to actually come down on a social standard yet uh, or social issue yet. And and pick a side and make a vote. She doesn't have a voting record per se. Yep, very true. Uh, very to true. to really lean on. So at some point, she's going to have to start putting some substance into what she's touting, and that's going to really, in my opinion, uh, really kind of dictate what the GOP uh, does and and where they stand. Because that's what I'm waiting for. I, I just want to know where they stand. I agree. I as, think, as a unit, I think it's going to be very, very interesting, especially as, you know, a lot more of these moderate Republicans in the Senate do start to take a step back, you know, look at Pat Toomey out of uh, Pennsylvania is always kind of been a very moderate figure. Um, he was one of the first people to speak up and say, what President Trump's doing is asinine, Joe Biden's president, um, and he's leaving in 2022 and will likely be replaced by a Democrat in Pennsylvania with the lieutenant governor um, who gained a lot of popularity on Twitter uh, this past cycle. He'll be running to replace him. So we're going to see more moderates and the Republicans start to exit. And, you know, the Democrats will remain kind of like a pretty even playing field of moderates, of severely moderates to incredibly intense progressives, whereas the Republicans seem to just start be shifting farther and farther right. So 
I'm just fascinated yeah. to see how it all plays out across the board. My hope is both parties get get things in order, you know, start believing in science and truth and, you know, fiscal concerns are one thing, but let's get on the same page about what's happening in reality so we can, you know, work to solve the incredible amount of problems that are facing both our country and our immediate future um, together. Sounds good. Well, we uh, appreciate everybody tuning in for this week's episode of Leaning Middle. And it doesn't matter if you're on the left or the right. As uh, um, Bruce Springsteen said in the suit, oh, can't say that name. Uh, as Bruce Springsteen said in the big game commercial, yes. it's time for us to unite in the middle. Yes, 100%. And we look forward to exploring that common ground with you on the next episode. Make sure to rate review, subscribe, and share us with all of your friends and family, and we'll talk to you very soon.